and welcome back to the Boston Faith and Justice Network's Let's Talk Faith and Justice podcast. For today's episode, it's just me, Maeve, the intern at BFJN, or whatever position you want to call me. I have conducted an interview with Dr. Dorothy Borst, who is a professor of biology at Gordon College, which is where I attend school, for those of you who don't already know from my blogs or from other conversations. But I am currently a senior at Gordon College studying political science and philosophy. And for those of you who don't know, Gordon College is a small Christian liberal arts college located on the North Shore of Massachusetts in Wenham. And I have been so blessed to go to Gordon and have all of those opportunities. It is a small college, so I have really benefited from personal relationships with my professors and to just get to talk on a very intimate level with people who are very knowledgeable about issues of faith and justice. And I have been so blessed by Gordon. And so this conversation is the fruit of my time at Gordon. I took Dr. Borse's biology um, environmental science class my freshman year first semester at Gordon. One of my professors was wondering why a freshman political scientist was taking an environmental science class. And he thought, oh, is she interested in biology? But actually, I was just interested in learning a little bit more about the environment, and I thought that it would relate well to my interest in public policy. And that certainly was the case. So I took Dr. Borse's class my freshman year, and it really helped to birth my interest in environmental justice and has really spurred me on since then. So I am very thankful for Gordon College and all that it has offered me, all of the growth I have had since I've been there, everything that I've learned. So I hope that this episode is interesting and gives you a lot of information and context for the issue of climate change. This is the issue that BFJN has chosen to focus on for the latter half of the year. So some of you may have already seen on our social media or on our blogs that we have transition our focus to center around climate change. So Dr. Borse is a professional in this area, and I hope that you all can benefit from her personal knowledge and understanding. And just some of the responses that she gave us, the action that she called us to, was really inspiring for me, and so I hope that it will be inspiring for you, the listener, as well. And stay tuned. We're going to have some other really cool podcast guests coming up that are going to be talking about climate change and some of the different areas it intersects with. So we hope that this episode will kind of provide you with a foundational understanding of climate change and the Christian call to action when it comes to climate justice. And so we hope you enjoy. Here's the Now we'll be having a conversation with Dr. Dorothy Boris. She is a professor at Gordon College in the biology department, and she received her PhD from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and she has been at Gordon since 1999 and is a major part of the biology program there. And I had her as a professor my first semester of my freshman year at Gordon, and I took her environmental science class, and I am continually impacted by her kindness and her enthusiasm for the subject. So welcome, Dr. Borst, to the podcast. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here, Maeve. And um, yeah, we had a wonderful time in that class together. I'm very excited to tell you that we're starting a new major in environmental science and sustainability this coming year. So I'll be, that'll be really one of my big babies there. But um but yeah, it's wonderful to be on with you. 
Yeah, that's so exciting. I remember hearing about that from President Hammond this past year. So some good stuff going on at Gordon. Um, I was wondering if you could just tell me a little bit more about what you do at Gordon just in the biology department and if you have any favorite classes that you enjoy teaching. Well, I'm an aquatic ecologist, which means uh, I know a lot about ecology generally, but my specialty is in wetlands and ponds and the marine environment, uh, aquatic systems. And but as a result of being an ecologist, then I became so interested in a lot of environmental care issues and the way Christianity overlaps with that. So I teach a lot of really fun courses, and I think my, the best answer would be the, my favorite class is the one I'm teaching now. It's like whatever I have going right that minute is my favorite class. Um, but there are some that are our favorite in different ways. Like I love the ones that take a lot of field trips and we do field work like ecology and marine science. And I love the ones where you're a small seminar and you're really talking deeply about controversial issues like intro to public health. And I love dealing with freshmen because freshmen who wouldn't, you know, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, just I like getting to see the same students go through their whole careers. And yeah, so I, I like a lot of different classes. Yeah, that's awesome. That's one of the blessings that I've found from Gordon is just being able to a lot of my professors in my own department. I mean, I've been with them since freshman year and have continued growing relationships with them. And even with you, I had you freshman year and I'm going into my senior year now and I still talk to you pretty regularly. So that is a big blessing at Gordon. Um, I was also wondering, I know you had talked about this past semester in one of the talks that you gave just about the sustainability measures at Gordon. I know you've been involved in that. And Gordon has definitely been making a lot of strides in that department with our recycling and all sorts of things. So I was wondering if you would be able to talk a little bit about your role in that and some of the things that Gordon has been doing in the sustainability department. Okay, so I'm really excited because um, Gordon has always been a leader in sustainability. And you might not even know that. We were one of the very first colleges in the um, Christian Colleges and Universities Consortium uh, to have a recycling program way back in 1980. Oh, cool. 1989. Um, but it's easy to get sort of stuck. And we've been a lean, mean machine in terms of funding uh, for a long time. But we do a lot that benefits the college through operations and physical plants. And that's like a quiet, unsung gem where we've um, done a lot to lower water use. We have composting in the cafeteria and many of the dorms. We have um, recycling all over campus. And we, I don't know if you know this, but we have a person who's hired to make sure that the recycling is actually separated properly because yep. otherwise you uh, it doesn't work um we do have the sustainability committee i'm on that uh, and that one is unusual faculty committee because it has faculty and staff and students across the whole campus that represent on that committee so that's really exciting 
We have a student green group called Advocates for Sustainable Futures. We have a project that comes out of physical plant called Restore Creation, which is about mostly what the operations are. And we've got an umbrella called Sustainable Gordon. That is really all the things that we're doing about sustainability. So we've got other stuff going on. One of the things I really like is that we don't use a lot of chemicals on our landscaping. We've got only a tiny part of the whole campus has any kind of chemicals on it. That's great. Yeah, I've been pretty impressed by Gordon's sustainability measures since I've been at school. I mean, I was able to compost. I had an apartment this past year and I was able to compost on campus. So I thought it's really cool to be able to have some of those resources available. And I know people who are involved in advocates for a sustainable future and all of those things. So very exciting that Gordon is Gordon has done a lot in that department. So very cool. Um, so as some of our listeners might know, BFJN has been transitioning into a new focus for the second half of the year on climate change. And so we are looking for what the Christian call is in that area to affect change and to be better stewards. And so I was wondering, Dr. Boris, if you can kind of give us a, you know, snapshot of what the climate crisis is, what are we facing? What does it look like for maybe people who aren't up to date on all of the information or the gravity of the issue. Okay, so I'm just going to say that climate change represents an existential threat. Um, not, not just because a warmer world comes with heat waves, which we're seeing around the world right now, but because it interacts with so many other issues that, that people face. Um, and so, for example, extreme poverty, many of the relief and development um, agencies supported by Christians like World Vision have named climate change as a huge problem in terms of poverty. People that are coming out of poverty are being pushed back into poverty by some of the things that climate change causes. Sea level rise is one. Uh, crop failure is another. Food insecurity, freshwater insecurity. Those are really big ones. Um, and certainly the concern about in a warmer world, the um, water cycle speeds up and also like the amount of evaporation is more. So you can picture droughts and floods are both more common. And so those, those things all are part of it. And it's driving migration. The human migration. We're in the century of the greatest migration ever. In um, so we're just living in a really unusual time. Yes, this um, it's unique, and um, people actually call this period the great acceleration. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before. Not no. Um, but uh, but if you. Google it. The Great Acceleration is about, since the 1950s, there's been this just tremendous exponential growth in um, human impacts on the earth. And uh, we're now hitting some boundaries. People talk about planetary boundaries. And so let me just say that climate change is just one of the pieces to this puzzle, but it's a risk multiplier 
Mm. And so it, it really is one that if we could work on that, we could work on other things at the same time. Yeah. If we ignore it, we, we won't get anywhere. Yeah. Thank you for that. I think that it's been really interesting to learn about just the intersection that climate change has with so many other issues. And so at BFJN, for the first half of the year, our focus was on housing justice. And so I have been looking into just how much, I mean, you were talking about with migration and all those sorts of things, sea level rise and how that really does affect the housing market and where people are able to live and being pushed out of their homes. So it definitely is very important. And I think that just the intersections are are so vast that it basically everything is touched by the effects of climate change, which is is really important for people to understand. Well, one of the things that's really interesting is just because I'm an ecologist, I see everything as connected. Mm. And there's a lot of things that you really can't just talk about them in one way. Justice is definitely one. And I just had a conversation yesterday with somebody who had been talking about racial injustices in America and was down in Mississippi and Alabama and and said, I didn't get how the environmental degradation mm. was a part of racial injustice until I saw it. And um, so I do like putting justice as sort of a framework because if you can't make things right for people, then you're not doing it right, right? So, so anyway. Yeah, definitely. Well, along that same line, you are involved in a lot of research and writing. I'm aware of. I have read some of your work. Your environmental science textbook is what we used in class, which I think is so cool. Um, and I know that in 2022, you put out a revised edition of your report called Loving the Least of These. So I was wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit about that report and specifically the intersections that you saw between climate change and poverty, because I know that that is a big focus in that report that you put out. So Loving the Least of These, Addressing a Changing Environment, was originally written in twenty. 11, or released in 2011, published by the National Association of Evangelicals in an attempt to put a human face on climate change, to make the connection in people's minds between poverty alleviation and taking care of, of climate. And that, um, and then we re-released that then in uh, 2022, with the World Evangelical Alliance and the Evangelical Environmental Network and the National Association <laughs> of Evangelicals. So it was like a much big, it was a bigger mm -hmm. group effort. Um, but that was because everybody thought it really mattered. And I, I just think that um, a lot of times people don't really get that the fellow Christians who they trust in many other ways know things about them, about climate change, are convinced that this matters. And I think the people that really, um, people are surprised to hear about it are like um, all, 
World Vision and Peer Fund and Care International and Christian Children's Fund or is now Child Fund. Uh, all of those um, are really convinced that climate change is a huge problem. And um, so I think for a lot of Christians, it's very tempting to not want to think about it because it's been so politicized in America. Yeah. But we tried to show that both this has effects on our communities in America, but also that this affects the worldwide community of Christians around the world. And in some places, dramatically. And so we looked at island nations in the Pacific. We looked at um, places where um, desert is expanding and crops are failing, places where mountainsides are falling down more often because of hurricanes and just a lot of those things. Yeah. Is there anything specific that you recall just standing out to you? Any facts that you learned or situation that you became aware of? I think that before the revision, I hadn't really understood how many towns in Alaska are falling into the ocean and where an entire town has to move. And some of them like in the next year or, or a few years or have already moved. So one of the towns, Shishmaref, Alaska, which I wrote about in the 2011 one, they had to move the bulk wow. of the town. So um, I, th- I think just the speed of things is, is really the take home from that decade gap. Yeah, definitely. And I would encourage our listeners to go. The report is available online, so you can go look into that if it's of interest to you. Um, I have read parts of it as well. For your class, I believe we read some of it, and I know that friends of mine have done work on it as well and have looked into it. So it's very interesting and really important information, I think, for people to to understand the severity of the crisis that we have at hand. So thank you for doing that work, and we can read about it. I appreciate it. So from that as well, too, I mean, all of this comes from a Christian call to care for the environment. And I mean, I have done a lot of thinking about this. I took a class in environmental ethics at Gordon that was really Mm. important for me in understanding this. And I think that, as you said, a lot of times climate change becomes a very political issue and it's good to, to separate it in a way because I mean, obviously we need some government involvement and we need political action as well, but there is a route in the Bible for Christians to engage in climate justice. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you can talk a little bit about where you see that coming from and in your own life, how you know your Christian faith has shaped how you respond and interact with the environment. Okay, so I think um, there's three really big theological ideas that inform how we might think about this. Um, And one is just what honors God. So sometimes it shocks people when I say something like, what percent of mammals on land around the entire world 
are wild. If you took just the weight of all of them, it's only 4%. All the rest is human bodies and domesticated animals. And you could look at parameter after parameter after parameter. So one of the questions you could ask is, is that what it's supposed to be like? What is it supposed to be like? And the Bible says in numerous places that God's creation causes awe and that it evokes and glorifies God as the creator. And um, the psalmist and Job, all of these um, places, it, it talks about that. And so if we are in awe of the creator, we need to be looking at these as the works of art of God and, and have that level of care about them. Um, so that's one. Another is just that, you know, Jesus says there's two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you cannot possibly do that and not care that, they're, that their drinking water is now salty, you know, because, because the sea encroached on their well. You can't, you can't say that you care about your neighbor as yourself and deny that these things are happening or that they matter a lot. Um, and I think that we're just going, we're in a very exciting time, not just nerve wracking and terrifying, but also an exciting time. And there's a lot of possibilities. So I think it's important to say when we love other people, we're going to do things, right? So what is the most loving thing I can do? It's not like all about not doing things, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, but, I, and I'll make a comment about that later too. But, um, but anyway, Matthew 5, you know, talks a lot about how important it is, how we're going to be judged on and, and it's going to be, did you treat people like me, like Jesus, like they're Jesus? Um, and James, too, says, uh, basically, you you think you're so wonderful, but, um, but if you see a brother or sister and they don't have clothes or food and you say, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, well, no, that's not how it works. And and really, James is choose out the church in that little bit. So, um, but I think the the third real idea is the Great Commission. Mm. If you believe that Jesus is God, is truth, brings salvation to the world, is the Prince of Peace and the healer of the world, then you can't carry that news and also be part of a system that that undermines people. Mm. Yeah. So I think that's, those are the things that I would say about the Christian call. Yeah, thank you for that. That is, some of those things, I mean, I've heard variations of that, but I really 
I really appreciate how you put that. And I hope that it is helpful for people listening too when they're trying to find their own place within this climate movement and where does the Christian belong. And clearly the Christian does belong within the movement mm-hmm. and we have there's a strong calling in the Bible. So thank you for that. And along those lines too, going back as well to your report, Loving the Least of These, there's a exit of it that is available. I think it got turned into an article um, yes. about the Christian, Christian engagement with it. And something you talk about is the need for both stewardship and reconciliation. And so I think that stewardship is a word that, I mean, we hear all the time in Christian circles and I've definitely heard it in the context of environmental care and duty, but I haven't heard a lot about reconciliation. So I'm wondering if you could talk about both of those terms and what they mean for Christian engagement. So like you, stewardship is always the metaphor. Here's a steward, they're in charge of something and caring for it on behalf of, you know, God. And um, there's that uh, those parables about the steward and who does a good job with, with what they have and that kind of thing. And that's a very powerful metaphor. Um, but in many churches, if you use the word stewardship, they actually will say time, talent, and treasure. Mm-hmm. And they never mean the environment. So one of the reasons why stewardship is a problem is just that in so many people's minds, it is not including more than those three things. It doesn't talk about the environment. But I think the bigger issue really is best described in a book called Beyond Stewardship by a number of people, most of whom are at Calvin. And I think Matthew Hume is the main author on that one. But they make the article that... um, Stewardship really only works as a metaphor if everything is a resource Mm. and your goal is to use it, but you're using it in the best way. But not everything is a resource and for us to use. That's not the way we interact with everything. And that might mean that things that we don't see as resources are disvalued as not being worth anything and are not protected, which in the past is what happened with clean air and water and soil, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or forests, you know, they're not resources until you do something with them. And then we, so I I think that's been problematic. And uh, those authors have some other reasons as well, but I, I think that's one of the real reasons. Reconciliation really resonates with me as a person who was educated in Mennonite schools because Mennonites are pacifists and they are so focused on um, shalom in the big picture. And that includes relationships between humans and the rest of creation. And... Um, When you talk about reconciliation, it says we're reconciling with more than ourselves. (laughs) So it's us and God, us and other people, our own selves, us and the rest of creation. So 
Um, I think reconciliation is a really hopeful way to think about it. Yeah, that's really cool. I've done my own research too, just on pacifism. People listening won't know, but at Gordon College, there is a honors program, the Jerusalem and Athens Forum. And I was a part of that this year. And we debated if pacifism is the most faithful political ethic for Christians. And so I think that that's really interesting. And I've always thought that even if you're not a pacifist, there's so much you can learn from the pacifist perspective to help inform your life. So I think that idea of reconciliation is really quite beautiful. So thank you for sharing that and articulating it so well. And I would just add, right, I I didn't end up a total, complete, utter pacifist. (laughs) I think there may be times for various uh, actions, but... I think when you start with your goal is reconciliation, it's a different way of looking at the world. Mm. Yeah, that's very good. Thank you. So this has been wonderful talking with you and learning so much from you. I hope that our listeners are also enjoying this and have learned a lot. And so I have just one final question for you. And it's, so obviously you do a lot of the academic research and you're very involved in that end but i'm sure that your passion for the environment seeps into your life in other ways too and informs your own actions and you know the way you conduct your life so i'm wondering if there is any specific takeaways that you have implemented into your own you know daily life your daily routine that you've tried to be more sustainable environmentally conscious what those things are Um, And if you could tell us a little bit about that. So a lot of the things that I do are things that are done on different scales. And one of the things I found as a person is just that you cannot reinvent the entire society around you Mm. on a daily basis. And there's going to be things that you can't solve right now. So I'll, I'll give you one quick example on that is I, I used to take my own bags to um, to supermarkets sometimes. And, and before everybody had reusable bags, it was considered weird and they wouldn't even necessarily take your bag and use it. So I didn't always do it. I tried it and it didn't work. But almost overnight, all of the grocery stores at the same time decided we're going to sell reusable bags. We're going to make money on the reusable bags, save money on the paper bags, (laughs) and do better for the environment. Look at that. And all of a sudden you could do that. So I feel like a lot of things, or recycling, or I pay a small fee a year to have composting picked up at my house. Well, until that was a thing, I just composted my backyard, but then I couldn't compost animal bones because my compost wouldn't get hot enough. It wasn't big enough. And um, so sometimes the biggest things that you can do are to advocate for group action. Mm. And I just really want to, um, to encourage, especially young people, when you, you're in an apartment or whatever, it doesn't necessarily look like there's a lot you can do. But the, the places where you can act are 
in protesting and where you put your money and how you vote, even running for for public office when you get to a place, you know, to do that. And those things have a huge impact. Yeah, definitely. That's very inspiring. I'm taking notes myself right now as you're talking. Um, <laughs> well, and I didn't make any of that up. You know, I just dropped <laughs> it from different places. But let me say that um, there's places where they list. Like I, I read a paper about they ranked 148 things that you could do. They said the biggest single thing that you could do would be live a car-free life. <laughs> Well, I can't currently live a car-free life because <laughs> I, 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 my housing and work and everything are not situated to do that. But when you're planning ahead, you might be able to, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I've heard a lot too. I mean, I think there's a lot of people talk about greenwashing and a lot of companies are trying to be more sustainable on the outside, but their practices aren't actually. And so I read a book, it was called Go Gently. It's by Bonnie Wright, who was uh, Ginny Weasley in Harry Potter, actually, in the movies. Um, and she is an environmental activist now. And she wrote a book and a lot of it is, you know, being gentle on yourself, especially as you're just starting in this environmental movement, or if you are already involved in trying to still figure out how you can you know, do your best. And it's about being gentle on yourself and on the environment because, you know, as you said, you can't necessarily reinvent society. And it's about taking some small steps where you can, understanding how to recycle properly, some of these things that are already built in, and then using your voice to advocate beyond that, which I think is such a important perspective. And I would say, I think you've got more power than you might realize. Um, because it seems to me like there's a crest of a wave that we're just about at where a lot of things are happening all at once. Mm -hmm. So here's my comment about, um, that I said, I would just say later, we are going to build bridges. We are going to, in, we're going to spend trillions of dollars on things. So we could commit to spending those money on things that help people and do not hurt the environment. Or we could spend that money the way we always have. But it's not like we're not going to spend any money. Mm. This is not going to happen. So if we don't say, I don't want a bunch of highways more than what we have that are exactly the same as what we had in the last you know, century, and we have to be able to dream up something new. But those dreams, you don't have to come up with all by yourself. And so I would recommend connecting in even to global movements. And the Sustainable Development Goals has a SDG Academy. You can take free courses or, you know, there's just so many things out there. Yeah, definitely. Well, Thank you so much for taking the time to be interviewed yeah. and to talk about climate change and the Christian calling. That was really informative and also empowering for me to go out and continue to, you know, make good change in the world. So I hope that it is for our listeners as well. And if you're listening, stay tuned for the next BFJM podcast, which will be two weeks from today. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, we're there. So thank you so much for joining us. Have a good day.